We're in Pirkei Avos. We're actually in the middle of a Mishnah. We're in Perak Beis Mishnah Ches. We began the beginning of the Mishnah last week. This week, um, we are in the middle of this Mishnah. I'm sorry, the middle of the Mishnah. It says Marba Avadim Marba Gazel. If a person has, or before that, actually, we're up to the one before that. Marba Shivcha Marba Zima. If a person has many maidservants, then it is the possibility of, of uh, immorality. And a person has to be careful about the environment that he's in, uh, the, not to bring himself to any situation where he can come to a sin. The, the, uh, the Vilna Gaon used to say, It's a Paskin Chumash that tells you, it's talking about a, a carbon, a Pesach Sheni. If a person does, um, is not able to, um, to, uh, to bring the carbon Pesach Rishon, and he's an Ones, he brings the carbon Pesach Sheni, and he's okay. But only if the person is Tameh, or he was traveling. Um, so it says, over Ish, a, a, a person that is Tahar, over Derech Lohaya, and then V'chol Delas is a Bezach, doesn't bring the carbon Pesach. The guy used to say, the Ish Shehu Tahar, who's a person who is Tahar, over Derech Lohaya? He doesn't go traveling, meaning he stays within an area that he knows is safe and secure from any Avera. So said the guy. And somebody once approached the Vilna Gaon and said to him that in Yiddish, he said to him, you know, um, what's the big deal? You are secluded in your room and you learn Torah all the time. And so you're not, you're not doing uh, Averos. We were out there and it's, it's difficult for us, for us that we don't do Averos, it's a big deal. And the Vilna Gaon said, Hashem is not interested in a person being a, uh, doing a big deal. Now, Hashem is not interested in a person doing a trick in order to avoid, uh, you know, go, going to an area where he's tempted to do an Avera and not do an Avera. Hashem would much rather you didn't do an Avera in the first place. You didn't go to that area in the first place. That's what it says in the Gemara in Baba Basra. The Gemara says that in those days, women used to go wash their clothing, clothing of the family by the rivers. And when they washed, they would, of course, uh, you know, lift up their sleeves and their skirts a little bit because they didn't want to get them wet. So... If people would walk by the river at that time when they were doing their washing, they would see women who are not fully clothed. And the Gemara tells us if you have two paths to go on, one by the river and one away from the river, and you choose to go on the one by the river, then you're a Russia. You're doing the wrong thing, even if you don't look, because bringing yourself to a situation of temptation is not a good, not a good thing. To, not a good thing. So you take a look at it. You don't have to go too far, but take a look at at uh, blacks today, um, African Americans or Caribbean Americans, Negroes today, all, all the mostly brown, which is which is terrible. It, it, um, th their color, of course, coming from Africa, uh, is, is is black. The reason they're brown is because several generations ago, their masters took advantage of the women and produced children, which was it's a it's a, a, a terrible thing to do that you have a person who's under your power and you take advantage of her is obviously the wrong thing to do. So, but this is what happens when you, uh, when a person brings himself to temptation, very often he can't, he can't, uh, he can't forego that temptation. And it's not a very good thing. So have to be careful with that. Um, it says that, uh, furthermore, the Mishnah tells us, Marbe Avadim Marbe Gezel. 
the, if a person has too many um, slaves or servants, he's going to increase theft. Because look, servants are the lowest rung of society. And uh, they don't have much to lose. A person is in a higher rung of society and is caught embezzling a politician, so there's a lot to lose. If a person is on a lower rung of society, doesn't have much to lose. You know, uh, that famous statement, the butler did it. Ever heard that? The butler yep. did it? Right? You know, there's a, there's, a, um, there's a particularly brilliant comic who wrote a, uh, used to write these little uh, comics called The Far Side. You ever heard of him? Uh, his name was Gary Larson, The Far Side. Man was a genius. So they had this, he had this comic which sticks out in my head that you had a, um, a butler with a, with a knife in his back on the floor and surrounding him is dozens of other butlers and it, the, the sign in a hotel, it was in a hotel lobby and the sign, a hotel ballroom, and the sign says, annual butler's convention. And there's a couple of police officers inspecting it. And one looks at the other and says, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> so, um, so this is what it says. You might think that you're doing well by having a lot of servants. But the fact is that um, you know, you're giving them more opportunity for, 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 um, for thievery. So there's, you know, people in the short term think that they're... Um, they're uh, they're doing they're doing uh, they're doing well in society because they have a lot of, of 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 maid servants and a lot of male servants and the fact of the matter is it isn't like that you know I knew a guy that spent a lot of money I still know him he's a guy here in Florida spent a lot of money buying a sports car that he wanted he liked this particular sports car and he showed it off to me and it was great until the summertime because. In the summertime, as you know, here in Florida, South Florida has huge amounts of rain and he couldn't drive it in the summer. <laughs> so in the summer, he would have to walk. <laughs> so, so in the winter, he was able to show off his fancy sports car. In the summertime, um, you have to take a different car or you just have to walk. So I don't know what gain there was to, uh, to, uh, to having a fancy modern sports car when uh, you, know, you can't even use it anyway, half of the year. So. Um, that's what that's what the, uh, the Torah tells us over here. But yet the mission continues and gives us an upbeat point, which says, If a person has more Torah, he has more Chaim. This is a, something which I have to explain in, in uh, there's, there's two understandings on the simple level of, of this. One is, of course, when a person learns Torah, it's, it's life. What does life mean? It means the, a person has a focus and a purpose in, in life, and his life is, is happy. And it's good, and he's he's satisfied with what he does. But there's another aspect to it that's a little bit more difficult to understand, which is that people, Jews, are connected on high to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And if you sever that connection, or you diminish that connection, you're actually diminishing the chelik, a part of the soul of a Jewish individual. So if you learn Torah, then you connect, and that is actual life. There's a section of our life that we have. The Gemara tells us that even a non-Jew who learns Torah, Gemara says in the name of Rabbi Meir, Gemara and Yoma, that even a non-Gemara, I'm sorry, in Babakama, Gemara says that even a non-Jew who learns Torah is uh, considered 
to be even greater than the Kohen Gadol, who goes inside the Mishmikdash and Yom Kippur. Because Torah is a very powerful, powerful thing. Sets a person's mind straight, gives him his priorities and his focus, and it's a whole different life. And then the Mishnah also continues and says, Marba Yeshiva, Marba, Marba Eitzah. I'm sorry, Marba Yeshiva, Marba Chachma. If a person has more Yeshiva, then uh, he has more Chachma. You know, I should have told you in the previous part of the Mishnah, there's a very famous story, which is worthwhile repeating over here, um, about Rabbi Akiva. It's more in Brachas and Samachalaf and Manalaf. Rabbi Akiva, Samachalaf and Mabez, actually, 61b. And where it tells us that Rabbi Akiva will live both before, during, and after the second base of Middash was uh, lived in the time of Bar Kochla, the rebellion. And during that period of time, the Romans made lots of very evil decrees against us. And one of the decrees was that when I let us study Torah, so Rabbi Akiva publicly gathered his Talmidim and he taught Torah. And there was a fellow named Papas Ben Yehuda who questioned him, what are you doing that for? And Rabbi Akiva gave the very famous example of a fish and a fox. He said the, the fox came by uh, a river and he saw the fish. They were scurrying, they were, they were um, swimming to and fro in great agitation. The fox called out to them, why are you, why are you um, agitated for? And the fish says, don't you see? There's a fisherman there and he has nets and he's able to capture us. And we've got to escape from this fisherman. So the fox said, well, I have a great idea for you. Uh, go, come on, come with me onto dry land. And the fisherman is only looking in the river. He's not looking on dry land. Come in dry land and, and, and you'll escape from the fisherman. So the, the, the fish said to him, you're, you're called the fox, the, the most wise and cunning of all creatures. I mean, if we can't avoid the fishermen in our own element, how can we possibly avoid the fishermen in a foreign element? So Rebekiva said, our natural element is Torah. And my job is to propagate Torah to Talmidim. If I can't avoid the fishermen, so to speak, the Romans, when I'm in my natural element, then I can't avoid them outside of my natural element. So, um, you know, the, the, I saw an insight from a uh, Irving Bunin, who I quote often, even though sometimes I don't mention his name. Um, Irving Bunin was a, was a very well-known uh, businessman who was involved in the foundation and the, uh, of Lakewood Yeshiva and involved in uh, very many charitable deeds. He was looked at as the epitome of what a, a lay person should be, a great Torah scholar, a wealthy businessman. His Rebbe was the illustrious Rev. Aaron Cutler, and the two of them formed a great partnership and established Torah in America in the 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond. So, um, Rev. Birnam says, there is a Gemara that tells us, Torah mateshes kocha shel adam. Torah apparently has a downside. It causes people to become uh, weak. It, it, it weakens the strength of a person. But he says, that's not the way it's understood. Torah Matesh's Kokoshaladam is understood like this, that a person relies on his strengths and his natural abilities, and his focus is elsewhere. Torah refocuses a person and doesn't care about the physical things of this world. He cares about the spiritual and intellectual things of the world. So that's one of these Mateshes. It, it, it minimizes the strength of a person, meaning the focus of a person on strength and on worldly matters. 
That's what it means. Now let's go to this part of the Mishnah that says, Marba Yeshiva, Marba Chachma. You know, the world always talks about the free exchange of ideas. In college, they talk about the free exchange of ideas, which unfortunately in today's society is extremely limited because colleges in America have become bastions of left-wing thinking. And it seems like every week I get reports of, of anti-Semitism on college campuses, which is a very, very serious matter. And there's certainly not an exchange of ideas. If somebody got up and said something which was not in keeping with the uh, radical left-wing philosophy, they'd be shouted down or threatened. And you probably wouldn't even hear about it. Uh, you would only hear about if it happened the other way. But uh, there is a certain left-wing orthodoxy that's prevalent in colleges today. So there isn't any real exchange of ideas in college campuses, unfortunately. Maybe there are some, but um, I've heard too many stories and know too many incidents to believe that that is the way it is across America. But in yeshiva, there is a great exchange of, yeshiva, of ideas. If you walk into a yeshiva, I once took a group from Atlanta into uh, to the Northeast and I brought them to Lakewood Yeshiva. As it was, a, it was a, a group of people that were either not, it was, they were getting involved in Judaism, let's put it that way. And they walked into the base Medrash and they were astounded by something. I still remember one of them telling me, he said, Rabbi, it's noisy here. He thought that a yeshiva was like a library. He had a bunch of people sitting around and doing research. But when he, when he went into the yeshiva itself, he heard that everybody's talking to each other. Everyone's paired up into groups. Or some people are studying by themselves. People are talking, asking questions, exchanging ideas, and thinking about what their friends have told them. That is what the yeshiva is, an exchange of ideas. And that's what it means, marba yeshiva, marba chachma. When there is more yeshiva, there is more wisdom. What you know, you know. But what, you, what your friend knows, you don't know unless you talk to him about it. So speaking to somebody else is one of the greatest catalysts for a person to be able to develop his own mind. The Gemara tells us, or the Medrash tells us that um, the, there was once a Tamil Chacham, a Torah scholar who was traveling with a bunch of merchants. So they had jewels and silk and all sorts of things, different vessels. And they asked him, where are your goods? So he pointed to his head and he said, my goods are here. Here's where my, my goods are. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. So um, they said, look, we have all this wealth. And what do you have? You have nothing. After a while, their ship was attacked by pirates. And the pirates took the ship and they also took the passengers and they sold them off as slaves. They came to an area and they sold them as slaves. So they stole all these people's goods, their jewels, their silks, everything that they relied on. And they sold them as slaves, whatever the market would fetch. This is the way it was back in those days. And there are pirates today as well. They say in Somalia, there are pirates. So, and they, they, they capture people and they sold them as slaves. So um, when the Jewish community saw this fellow, they realized he was a Talmud Chacham. And when they spoke to him about learning, they saw, they clearly understood he was a Torah scholar. So they, they, they went to the extra effort to redeem him. So all the rest of these people were slaves. And he not only was redeemed and was a free man, but he was such a great Talmud Chacham that they appointed him to be the Rav of their community. So when he approached one of them later, 
He said, this is what I meant to tell you. When he met one of the slaves later, he said, you see, you have your vessels. Your vessels are transient. They could be in your possession today and somebody else's possession tomorrow. But my goods are all in my head. And they understood what he was talking about. That's what it says over here also. Marba Eitza, Marba Tavuna. Take advice from people. The world says that a person should take advice from everybody and do what his heart tells him because you should apply the advice that's given to your own circumstances. You know what the circumstances, your own circumstances are, but nobody else knows exactly what your circumstances are, but you can take advice from all sorts of people. We come to the, um, the, um, the next part of the Mishnah, which is Mar B'Tzedakah Mar B'Shalom. If a person gives charity or you increase your charity, then Mar B'Shalom, you increase peace. So, you know, I want to focus on this today because Sadaka is extremely important, extremely important thing. Uh, when a person gives Sadaka, he increases peace in the world. People, A, are not tempted to steal because they have the wherewithal to be able to support themselves and there's less enmity and people are, there's less stress in the world. There is a Pusik in, in Kohelis. In the beginning of Kohelis, in uh, Medrash Rabbah, the Pusik says, Shlach lachmacha hamayim. Send your bread on the face of the water, and it'll come back to you. The, the, the Medrash says in Kohelis Rabbah, Medrash gives us several stories about how giving Sadaka actually helped the person who gave the Sadaka, not just the person who was, the beneficiaries of the tzedakah. So I want to read for you several, a couple of midrashim in a parak yud aleph, pasuk aleph in uh, in Kohelis. So they're, they're going on on uh, this pasuk and Amr of Bibi, Rabbi says in bekash asiosa. If somebody asks you to give tzedakah, do it. Okay, and he says that shlach lach Mayim means Torah. Ain Mayim kind of Torah. Shnemer called Tzama Lechu Lemayim. Everyone who is thirsty come to water. Meaning, um, meaning, meaning, um, meaning Torah. Which means to say, it means to allude to the fact that the best type of charity is, of course, supporting a person who is a Torah scholar. Now the Gemara says like this. The Medrash is like this. I'm Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva said. When I was traveling at sea, Reisi, I saw Svina, Shatava Bayam. I saw a ship that drowned at sea. And I was very upset, particularly Al Talmud Echad. There was a Torah scholar on that boat. He was there and he drowned at sea. Now, when I came to Kaputkaya, which is ancient Cappadocia, Reisif, I saw him. I was giving a shear in Cappadocia, and I saw this Yid, this Tamachachim, was sitting in front of me in shear. He was asking questions. So afterwards, he says, Namtilo, I, I, I spoke with him. And I said, Beni, my son, I saw your ship drown in the middle of the sea. How, how are you here? How did you survive? He said, Rabbi, you should know, but Selushchem, your prayers caused me 
to be um, to be cast to the shore. Um, I, one wave knocked me forward till I got another wave, and eventually I made it to shore. So he's, Rabbi Kiva said, Bani, tell me, ma what good deeds do you have, did you do? Must have been because of a good deed that you survived. He said like this, I'll tell you what happened to me. When I went into the ship traveling, a, a person who was wretched, meaning he didn't have any money, came to me and he said, give me something, I need something to eat, give me. Eagle, I gave him, eagle means round, and it's used for a number of things in the Gemara, but in this case, the commentary say he gave him bread. He gave him a whole loaf of bread. It sounds like an eagle was a very large amount of bread. So even though when you're traveling by sea, which was uh, a very common form of travel from place to place in those days, obviously there were no airplanes, you don't want to give up your resources because you never know. In those days, sea travel is not like it is today. Not like I'm an expert on sea travel. I can count the amount of times on my fingers, how many times I've been on a, on a boat, but in my hand, one hand. But still, um, the uh, you don't have to be a, an expert on sea travel to know that in those days, they were at the mercy of the winds. There were great waves that occurred. Ships were not as seaworthy then as they were today. And you never knew how long a voyage could take, and you never knew where you would end up 100%. It was a dangerous profession. It was a dangerous form of travel. So you don't want to give up your resources, but this guy gave a significant amount of bread to this person who was poor. So he says, the poor person said to him, just like you gave me my nefesh, you restored my soul to me, so too should be repaid to you. And that's what, I ha- what happened. So Rabbi Kiva said, I said on him the Pasuk, send your bread on the face of the water, meaning you gave this person bread and you were able to uh, because of that, this is the reason why you were saved. You were saved. You know, I'm, I'm reminded that Rabbi Kiva himself had an incident. Um, I wasn't thinking of saying that today, but it fell into my head. Rabbi Kiva himself had an incident. Rabbi Kiva had a daughter. Rabbi Kiva had a daughter who was born. It was born to Rabbi Kiva's daughter. And the day it was born to him, astrologers told Rabbi Kiva that the day that she's married is the day that she's, she's going to die. And Rabbi Kiva kept it in his head. When she got older, it was time to marry her off, and he did so. And um, and he did so. Anyway, the, the custom was in those days that the women, who the girl who was getting married, the Kala, would sit in a room surrounded by a bunch of women. And apparently, this daughter of Akiva was a very industrious kind of a person. While she was sitting there as a Kala, surrounded by all these women, she was sewing, she was doing knitting with knitting needles. Today, you would never see a Kala knitting during the time of her wedding. And uh, she was sitting next to a wall. And when she finished her knitting, she took the needle and she put it into a hole into the wall, in the wall. And in doing so, she stabbed a poisonous snake, killing it. It was right by her neck. And it was a miracle. It was a miracle. So Rabbi Kiva said to her, um, Tell me, how is it that you were saved? What did you do today that you were saved? What happened? 
and he told the story that an astrologer came to me and said you were you were going to die, and I was worried about that. What happened? So she said that in the beginning of her of, of her day, when she sat in this room, which was like a queen on her throne, she was a kala, and there's all sorts of food, a poor man or woman, I don't remember which one, came to her and uh, was, was begging for food outside the door. And she took a portion of food as the kala, she got up from her kala throne and she handed it to him herself. And Bikiva said, that's the reason why you were saved because you gave this poor person food to eat. And Imara tells us, Medrash tells us another interesting, several interesting stories, one of which in particular, I'm going to share with you. The Medrash says that an interesting story, uh, Rabbi Lozer ben Shamua. Rabbi Lozer ben Shamua lived in the same time as Rabbi Akiva, and he was a well-to-do individual, but he lived during a time when there was terrible persecution from the Romans. And Romans took terrible advantage of Jewish people, not only just harassing us, but um, but uh, enslaving us, killing us, taking advantage of our women. And it was a very bad situation, causing a lot of tension. Just think about the Soviet Union, Jews living in the Soviet Union during Soviet times, we barely were able to survive during that period of time. Anyway, um, Rabbi Lozim and Shemua, the Medrash tells us, was walking on on a beach, on a certain beach. And he saw Chamachad Gavar, the, uh, and he saw Chama Ilfa, the Mitrafabiyama, Kiarifus Ayim, Tavas Vitavakom on the Habibay. And he saw a ship that was on the sea and on the Mediterranean. And he saw in, a, in, in just a moment, in a moment's time, the, the ship broke apart and and, and and the ship drowned and everyone on it drowned. So, uh, you know, people were obviously struggling for their lives. The whole, whole ship went under. Anyway, um, we saw this one fellow who grabbed onto a plank and eventually made it to dry land. He was watching this from a distance and he was naked and he hid himself in, apparently this was, he, he beached onto a place that was near a road and people were walking back and forth. And it was a Jewish section of town. And he hid himself in the stand because he was embarrassed because of his nakedness. And he saw Jews who were going to Yerushalayim. They were being Olaregel, or I don't know if they were being Olaregel, it could be it was after the destruction of the second base of English, but they were going towards the toward Yerushalayim. And he called out and he said, um, I'm from B'nai Esav meaning, you know, he was a Roman. I'm a Roman. And, you know, B'nai Esav are your brothers. So give me something to wear so I shouldn't be naked. And they looked at him and they said, yeah, brothers, this is the way you're treating us. You're brothers. When you need us, you call yourself brothers. But when you don't need us, then you persecute us to the most horrible degree. They recognized him as a person who was a minister within the government. And, you know, a noble individual. And they weren't going to help them. And they said, we wish that all your government and all your people and all your ministers, the same thing should happen to them. And they went on their way. And then Rabbi Elazar and Shemua came by and he saw Rabbi Elazar and Shemua and he called out to him. He says, I see that you're an older individual and you're respected by your people. Please help me. So Rabbi Elazar ben Shemua, he was, he was hidden in like, he was not, he was 
it was in the river, the edge of the river, Husband Shemuel was wearing seven cloaks. Apparently that was, uh, in a noble way, was to wear these kind of, this kind of clothing. He wore seven cloaks. He took his outermost cloak and he threw it to him. The fellow put it on and he was, he was okay. Then in Belazim and Shemuel, it says, it says, Ovila Lebeser, but Belazim and Shemuel brought him to his own house. Va'achlein, he gave him food. Va'ashkein, he gave him to drink. Va'yayivlei, and he gave him train Marvin de dinari. He gave him 200 zuz, 200 dinari, which was a reasonable amount of money in those days. Va'archivei, and he rode with him, Arba Esa Parsen, 14 Parson. The Parsa is about two and a half kilom- uh, miles. So he rode with him 14 miles, which is something like 14 Parson, which is something like uh, 35 miles or something like that. Um, and he gave him honor because he was an honorable um, minister. Um, he gave him a lot of honor. Until he came to his house. After a period of time, Mace Kesar, the Caesar died. Kesar Harasha. The wicked Caesar. Now I'm not sure if it means the Caesar in Rome or it means the governor of that area, but it seems to me that it was the Caesar himself. The Imnule Malka Tehuse, and this nobleman became the king, the emperor of Rome, instead of the Caesar who had died. So he said, Gazo Medina Medinsahu. So as soon as he became Caesar, he made a decree on that, that area, on that Medina, that area. And he said, Kol Gurvin Likatala, all men in that area must be executed. And all the women there have to be raped. That's what he said. So the people were terrified on this horrible decree. So Amrulay, Rebelezim and Shemua, they said to the great Rebelezim and Shemua, go Zilbaise, Paise, go and, 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 and appease him. Do something for him. They should, we should avert this evil decree. So he said to him like this, I'm alone, he said, look, you all know, this Roman kingdom, they don't do anything of the media magon. Do they ever do anything for free? The Romans do nothing for free. You got to pay them off. You got to bribe them. That's the way it is. They said to him, look, I have, we have 4,000 um, pieces of dinarim, which is a lot of money, apparently gold pieces. Take it and go to him and and be Mephias. Appease, appease him so we shouldn't have the, the evil decree. He took it and he went. He stood at the gate of the palace. alone, he said to them, to the, to the guards, um, go inside. Then go tell the king that the emperor that there's one Jew standing by the gate. He wants to ask about the welfare of the kingdom. So the king permitted him to enter. As soon as the king sees he got up out of his throne and he fell down on his face. He bowed down to Rabbi and Shemua. He says, what is the master of Elizabeth ben Shemua doing here, right? Why do you trouble yourself to come to me? Meaning to say it was, a, it was a nice way of saying, I should be coming to you to thank you for saving me 
why are you coming here? He said, I came here, begin to Tizrachim, I ask, I ask that you should have mercy on this particular kingdom. You shouldn't do what you said you're going to do and cancel this decree. So he said, so the king says to him, the emperor says to uh, Rabbi Lezim and Shemuel, he says, in your Torah, is, any, is there any falsehood in your Torah? So he said, no, there isn't. He said, but it says in your Torah, Lo an Ammonite and a Moabite should not come into the kingdom of God. Why? Because it says, because they did not approach you with bread and water when you were leaving Egypt. Therefore, that cruelty causes that the Ammonites and the Moabites, Ammonim and Moabi, should never enter into Kalah Yisrael. Okay, but it also says, don't despise, abhor an Edomite, because he's your brother. Now here I am, I'm an Edomi, I'm from Esau, and I'm an Edomite. The Torah says, don't despise me. And you did to me what the Torah says that the Ammonim, the Ammonites, the Ammonites and the Moabites weren't supposed to do to you. And because of that, you exclude them for your congregation forever. Shouldn't I be angry at your people for doing the same thing to me, and especially when the Torah says that you're not supposed to abhor me, you're supposed to welcome me. So he says, um, you're right, you're correct. Um, um, you're right, a person that, that transgresses this should be killed. But still in all, I ask you to save them and have mercy on them. So the king, the emperor says, you know, we Romans don't do anything for free. So Rebelezim and Shemua said to him, I have 4,000 gold pieces I'll give to you in redemption for their lives. So he says, you know what? I'm going to, you keep the 4,000 pieces in exchange for the 200 gold pieces that you gave me some time ago to save my life. And the entire kingdom is going to be saved in that stead. And, um, and, uh, and the, the food and the, and the drink that you gave me, I'll, I'll give, I'll, for that I'm going to, uh, to save the kingdom. And then that kingdom, I'm not going to harm them. And I want you to go into my storehouses and take, I'm going to give you seven of the finest articles of clothing that I have in, uh, instead of the one, pe one article of clothing that you gave to me when I needed it and go back home. And he sent them off with great honor and guards. And that's the concept of shalach lachmachab al-paneyamayim to cast your bread upon the water. When a person gives tzedakah, a person thinks that I am helping the individual in need. And you are, for sure. But the fact of the matter is that the Torah gives us a guarantee. When you send tzedakah off to others, it comes back. You think you're only giving that other person? Well, it also comes back to you. And it says over here, if a person gives tzedakah, you should give, you, you should, uh, you get, you get, and instead, you get peace. Marba tzedakah, marba shalom, you get peace. And tzedakah does not only mean money, it also means helping individuals in other ways. It's a very important thing that uh, I wish to uh, share it with you. And if you have time, I want to tell you um, a, a personal story that happened to me in the last month. Very interesting story. Um, I don't know if you were following the news, but there was a congresswoman by the name of Mary Miller, who was a who is a, uh, a representative from Illinois, and she won her election. And 
she gave a rally on January 5th. It was an unfortunate day. because was the day before the Capitol riots. She gave a rally to a group of mothers, mothers and grandmothers, and she spoke at a rally. And she was talking about um, her, her victory and she's speaking about the importance of educating children properly not to let education go. And she said, um, Hitler was an evil man, but he said one correct thing, one right thing. He said, if you give up the youth, you give up the future. Something like that, she said. I don't remember the exact quote, but that's what she said. And um, people, he said Hitler was right about one thing. Whoever has the youth has the future. So people said, oh, she's a terrible anti-Semite because she said Hitler was right. Hitler's right about nothing. And they were screaming and yelling about her. And it came to my attention. And I didn't know whether this woman at the time was a Republican or a Democrat, but I saw that she was denounced by the different secular Jewish groups. And I said, I have to see what she said. So I listened to the video of what she said, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out what she said, did she say anything wrong? She said that Hitler was evil, but he was right about one thing, and she's right. Uh, Hitler was correct about that, that if you give up the youth, you give up the, the, um, the future. So, um, so, so, you know, and, and the Gemara uses our enemies, the worst enemies, Haman and Titus and others, to, and Esau, to learn lessons from. We have to learn lessons for, from the enemy in order to be able to apply them for good. And <clears throat> then I found out she was a Republican, and I found out that the Democrats in her state were, were trying to destroy her. And I thought to myself, this is just not right. They're, they're, they're calling her an anti-Semite. And she shouldn't be called an anti-Semite. And they're trying to destroy a woman simply for political reasons. So I wrote an article about it, which appeared in Arutz Sheva. And you know, I'm part of the group called the Coalition of Jewish Values. And we put out a letter defending her based on that article. And she was very thankful. And last week we had a meeting with her on Zoom. And we spoke to her about all sorts of Jewish issues. And it turns out of course, she's not an anti-Semite at all. Quite the opposite, she's pro-Jewish and she's pro-Israel. And we made a friend because we saved her career by defending her, we made a friend. And um, you never know where that could lead. A Congresswoman is a very powerful person and her friends within Congress were also very thankful for us for helping her in a time of need because she really didn't do anything wrong. Quite the opposite, she's a natural ally of the Jewish people. So, you know, that if, when you do something, it, it comes back to you. And who said, who knows what the future will bring and who knows what will happen in the future that a person should try and do charitable deeds to uh, all different types of individuals and you gain friends that way and you're able to lift your head up in public and say, I did something that is moral and it comes back to an individual. So I'll leave you with this and Mitch Shem will continue with the next Mishnah the following week. And I will wish you a, all of you, a wonderful Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom, Tadar Rabbah. Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.